ever been a stranger in a new place. Culture shock, as we call it, an experience that rattles you to your core, spins you around and places you down, a whole world away from familiarity. Ever faced it? Well, I certainly have. Moving from Puerto Rico to New York at such a young age was like diving into a whirlpool of vibrant yet unfamiliar colours. Vibrant, but overwhelming. Growing up in San Juan was tranquil, like a sweet symphony that got abruptly interrupted. Feeling like a fish out of water, huh? Exactly, and shock is a mild word for it. It was more like a cultural blast that fractures everything you knew you believed. But then, it wasn't just about feeling lost. It was about what lay beyond that disorienting feeling. The lessons it taught were invaluable, but that's a journey for later. Tell me, Ellie, what stood out to you the most when we talk about culture? What differences invoked the most surprise for you when you left the tranquility of San Juan and stepped foot in New York? Firstly, the chaos. San Juan is calm. Life moves slower there. Just the mere pace of New York was surprisingly overpowering. Everything was faster, louder, bigger. That must have been quite the orientation, right? Absolutely. There were no breaks to the shock. The stinging winters were a punch in the face, quite literally, compared with the pleasant tropical weather of Puerto Rico. The food, the strikingly different sense of fashion, and the language, of course. All these made home seem even more distant. Language, yes, we'll delve into that shortly. But for now, apart from these obvious points, did you find subtler differences too? What about people's behaviour and the society at large? Oh, yes. Back in Puerto Rico, life revolved around family and friends. Here in New York, everyone seemed so occupied, always in a rush, wrapped up in their lives. The social warmth of Puerto Rico seemed to dissipate amidst the towering skyscrapers of New York. I remember feeling sort of left behind in that sea of faces. That does sound like a struggle, and something that definitely needs greater recognition. Ellie, I can't help wondering about your experiences with the social norms here. More than just the language, it's the culture that forms the fabric of a place. What are some social customs in New York that took you by surprise? Oh, Emma, it was a lot to take in. It's the little things that you wouldn't think would be different. For example, in Puerto Rico, we greet family, friends, even acquaintances with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. So when I did that here, people would just freeze. It took me some time to realise that while it's common back home, here it was considered a personal space violation. That does sound like a rude awakening. It's hard when what is seen as normal for you suddenly clashes with a new normal. Exactly. It was like walking on eggshells learning a different culture's do's and don'ts. And then there were subtle things, like dinner times are earlier here, and it's more about individual plates rather than shared meals like back home. The concept of living alone was also something I did not understand. Back in Puerto Rico, family ties are strong. It's not uncommon to stay with your parents, even after you turn 18. It was different here. These nuances might seem small, but when you're trying to blend in, they make all the difference. It's like learning to be part of a dance you've never seen before. That's a great analogy, Emma. You're always trying to match the rhythm of this new dance, and sometimes you falter and step on someone's foot. But it's all part of the learning process, and that's what life is about. Adapting, learning and growing. Speaking of dances, 
Routines were always an intricate part of life back in Puerto Rico, Emma. And these routines were something I found hard to let go. Like what kind of routines, Ellie? Well, there's this Puerto Rican tradition called paranda. It's similar to Christmas caroling, but instead of singing on the streets, we would surprise a neighbour in the middle of the night with music and dancing, and then they would join us to the next house and so on. And we did this throughout the Christmas season. That sounds like a lot of fun. So it was, Emma. But can you imagine trying to replicate that here in New York City? Probably get us kicked out of the building in no time. I tried to explain the tradition, but people thought it was just a nuisance. Yes, quiet nights and personal space seem to be highly valued here. And this cultural variance, it's strange and disorienting, isn't it? That's right, Emma. There were also cultural nuances in the way we eat. In Puerto Rico, we have sobremesa, which is the time we spend at the table after eating just talking and laughing. But here, people eat and off they go. No time for idle chatter. These differences initially upset me, as I remember feeling isolated and out of sync with this American way of life. And as an immigrant, it's not always easy to adapt, especially if what you're used to holds a dear place in your heart. Exactly, Emma. However, by holding on to these cultural traits, I also ensured that a piece of myself, a piece of my native Puerto Rico, was never forgotten, despite the cultural and geographical transition. There's a strange comfort in that. Emma, language was a barrier taller than any skyscraper around me. I can imagine, Ellie. You must have felt like you were in an ocean without a life jacket. Exactly, Emma. In Puerto Rico, I was used to speaking so comfortably. But here, I couldn't understand most of the things people were saying. Early days were filled with amusing confusions, too. Once, I even called my school chicken instead of kitchen during a presentation about my home. Oh dear, that must have been embarrassing. Yes, it was mortifying, but over time slipping up became a regular part of my life. I remember my English teacher, Mrs Whitman. She had a thing for proverbs and idioms, and I could never get them right. Barking up the wrong tree turned into barking at the wrong cat or happy as a clam became happy as a lamb. Well, we have to admit that those misinterpretations are quite humorous. Yes, Emma. Now that I reflect on it, I guess these little hiccups did bring a lot of laughter. But it was arduously alienating then. You know, it's like being struck mute suddenly and relearning to speak all over again. Music, Emma, played a significant role in my language transition. Really? How so? You know, back home, we loved to dance to American pop songs, even if we didn't understand all the words. I knew the tunes of classics like Thriller by Michael Jackson and Like a Virgin by Madonna before I even set foot in New York. Ooh, that sounds like a fun way to learn. Yes, it was. These catchy songs became my English lessons. I would play them on repeat trying to figure out what each word means, madly scribbling lyrics on a piece of scrap paper and then looking up for their meanings in the dictionary. I can picture Minnie Ellie, dictionary in one hand, and scrap paper filled with your interpretations in the other, bobbing her head to the music. That's right, Emma. Tears for Fears, Duran Duran, U2 and more. They unknowingly became my peculiar tutors. I eventually started understanding English more clearly, picking up phrases, idioms. But there was a downside. A downside? What kind of setback could come from this innovative method? With my attention divided between Spanish at home and English outside, I started slowly losing fluency in Spanish. Thoughts, concepts I used to express effortlessly, 
became a struggle in my native language, and it felt like a piece of my identity was slipping away. That's tough, Ellie. Striving to learn one language, while losing touch with your own in the process. But it seems, despite these challenges, you managed to transform this obstacle into a part of your resilience. Considering how elegantly you express yourself in English now. It was indeed a tough phase, Emma. But you know, life has a funny way of teaching you, doesn't it? Music bridged the gap in more ways than I could have imagined, making me capable of straddling two cultures, two languages. Emma, I remember the days when Spanish became a strained language for me. What was it like? To feel as if you're losing touch with your native tongue? Well, English was overwhelming me, becoming the language I needed to get by in a new country. Conversations at home were in Spanish, and it was like a refuge. But outside, at school, it was English everywhere. I had to keep up with it. And this dual language situation, it was like living two lives parallel at the same time. It must have been chaotic. Feeling a disconnect from your native language while adapting to a new one. It was confusing, scary too. A mix of emotions. Spanish, my first language, my strength seemed like it was being overshadowed. And I feared losing it. Is losing the fluency in your native language a common experience among immigrants? Or were you the odd one out? From what I understood over the years, this fear of losing touch with your native language seems to be a thing for most immigrants who are in constant touch with a foreign language. You start thinking in the foreign language, dreaming in it. Language is more than just words and phrases, Emma. It's an integral part of who we are. It shapes our thoughts. And when I felt like I was losing my Spanish, it felt like losing a piece of my identity. It sounds like an emotional challenge on top of everything else. What helped you through it? It was definitely a challenge, but my mother, she insisted that we speak only Spanish at home. It was her way of ensuring that we held on to our roots. She helped me realise that it's possible to embrace a new culture, a new language, without letting go of where you came from. Her strength gave me the conviction to face this. I'm grateful for that. Ellie, we've been discussing the layers of difficulties you've faced, the cultural differences, language concerns. And now I'd like us to touch on a less visible but equally important aspect, mental health. Would you be comfortable sharing the psychological impact of your immigration? Yes, Emma. I believe it's crucial to talk about it. The move from Puerto Rico to New York, it was daunting. The city was so fast-paced, so different. It was as though I was ripped away from the comfort zone of my culture and traditions, and thrust into a world I had no familiarity with. And I guess lack of familiarity can often lead to a sense of isolation. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. The feeling of isolation was overwhelming, especially initially. Even though I was surrounded by people, I felt alone. It was difficult to relate to people, to understand their rituals, their ways of thinking. I missed home every moment, missed the feeling of belonging somewhere. Must have been hard. And I suppose, along with isolation, there was this sense of disconnection. Yes, there was this constant tug of war between who I was and who I was becoming. Trying to weave the new me with the old me was a struggle, and it felt as though I was losing my identity somewhere. Losing identity even as you were trying to fit into a new one. That's a dual battle, then. 
not just with the external world, but with yourself. Exactly, Emma. The external struggles were visible, but the internal battles were the hardest. Ellie, it sounds like a struggle with your identity was one of the most difficult aspects of your immigration experience. Would you say that this was something hard for you to navigate? Absolutely, Emma. I found myself constantly swinging between two worlds. There's a part of me that desperately wanted to fit in here, to understand and adopt American customs and culture. But there's another part of me that clung to my Puerto Rican roots, the traditions I cherished, the language I loved. It was a tug of war, really. It almost sounds like you were trying to bridge two worlds together. Can you elaborate more on that? For sure, Emma. I remember during my initial days in New York, my family and I stuck to Puerto Rican food, music and traditions at home. But the moment we stepped outside, it felt like we were in an alien world. Adapting to the American culture without letting go of our Puerto Rican roots was the most difficult part, and it was a continuous process. In fact, it still is. That's certainly a lot for a ten-year-old to bear. I wonder, Ellie, how this experience shaped you as an individual. It certainly forced me to grow up quickly. I think it made me stronger and helped me appreciate the beauty of diversity. It made me realise the importance of being resilient and adaptable, and how these traits could help me overcome any obstacles in life. Even though it was definitely a tough time, I choose to look back at it as a period that shaped me to be the person I am today. Ellie, after hearing your story, it's so evident that your resilience has been a key factor in your journey. Can you share a couple of instances that truly tested your strength? Absolutely, Emma. There are so many instances that come to mind, but there is one in particular that really stands out. I remember when I was about 12 years old, my English was still rough around the edges. My teachers at school were speaking in what felt like an alien language and I just couldn't grasp it. One day my teacher gave us a complex assignment and despite my attempts, I completely failed to understand the task at hand. Instead of freaking out or giving up, I decided to step up. I remember spending weekends at the library, trying to learn more English using picture books, dictionaries, whatever I could find. I took the initiative to ask my classmates for help too. It was a challenging time. The struggle of trying to figure out the language was real. But after weeks of perseverance, I managed to complete the assignment. I was so proud of myself, not because I did it perfectly, but because I did it at all. That experience taught me the power of never giving up, of staying determined, steadfast. It was a huge hurdle, but I came out stronger. It's amazing, Ellie, how you took these challenges head on. That determination is truly emblematic of your strength and resilience. Is there another moment you'd like to talk about? Another moment that pops in my mind was when our family had to move to a different neighbourhood due to financial constraints. It was a huge cultural shock all over again. The norms, the environment, everything was so different from what I had managed to get accustomed to. But once again I told myself that I have to be resilient and adapt no matter what. After all, life isn't about just surviving, it's about thriving, right? Right, Ellie. It definitely is and you seem to have embraced it in its true spirit. Your journey just goes on to show that resilience can be our greatest weapon in the face of adversity, and the spirit of adaptability can help us sail through even the most drastic changes. Ellie, I reckon that your journey would have been inconceivable without the guiding light of your mother, Anita. 
Can you talk more about the role she played in instilling resilience in you? Definitely, Emma. My mom, she's the epitome of strength, courage and endurance. Her hard work paid our bills, put food on the table and guided me and my siblings. I remember, I was 11 and the culture shock was daunting. I clung to her, crying about missing my old friends, our house, even the familiar hustle-bustle of San Juan. She held me close and told me that this change was an opportunity for a new beginning. That's so touching, Ellie. But how did you gather courage from her words? Well, Emma, it wasn't easy. I was just a child burdened with a sense of loss and displacement. Still, my mum's conviction in her words, her faith, it rubbed off on me. I decided to accept change as an unavoidable part of life and chose to embrace it. I'd watch her wake up early, head to work, come home tired, yet she never forget to ask about my day. That perseverance resonated within me, and I guess that's how her resilience fueled mine. It's impressive how mother's embodiment of resilience galvanised you. Was there any moment where your strength surpassed your fears? Yes, Emma. Remember when I mentioned about moving to a different neighbourhood? My mother's faith in her decision was unshakable. She helped me realise that change wasn't something to fear. Facing a whirlpool of change, I chose to swim through it. The neighbourhood, the norms, everything was radically different. Yet I didn't just survive, I thrived. And my mom, she was my anchor. My strength truly reflects her resilience. Ellie, how did you bridge the language barriers in your initial interactions? Was it difficult to make friends in a completely new environment? Emma, the language barrier was indeed a major obstacle. I knew minimal English and the American accent was quite a challenge to grasp. Making friends was a scary leap. But you know what? Being a child, we can be ignorant of these barriers. The universal language of kindness and smiles worked wonders. I started by extending simple courtesies, like greeting my neighbours, or sharing some of the Puerto Rican treats my mother baked. That's wonderful, Ellie. How did these friendships help in understanding the American culture and social norms? These interactions played a pivotal role, Emma. American school culture, norms, everything was different. But my friends, they guided me. With their help, I started to understand the cultural nuances, informal lingo, the American way of life. They were patient with my struggle, they'd correct my English, and through them I learned to blend in. But it wasn't just them. My teachers played a considerable role too. Grappling with English, I often faced trouble understanding the lessons. But they were kind, they gave their time, explained the lessons patiently, which made my academic life a little less daunting. Ellie, looking back, how significant do you think these relationships were in your adaptation? Emma, at the risk of sounding dramatic, they were my lifeline. Each interaction was a lesson, each friendship a guidebook into this new world. More than that, these interactions eased my feeling of being alienated. They bridged the gap and helped me feel less foreign. Ellie, even in difficult times, having the right support around can somewhat lighten the burden. In your case, did your teachers provide a lot of that support during your early days in New York? Yes, Emma, my teachers were a lifeline. I remember my first English language teacher, Mrs Dawson. She was this kind-hearted woman with an ever-loving smile. Seeing my struggle with English, she stayed back after school to help me with my homework. It was a small act, but it meant the world to me. Not only did she help with my academics, but she also guided me with the cultural nuances that I found a bit difficult to understand. She told me, language is not just about vocabulary, 
It's a window into culture, and that played a significant role in me embracing the American lifestyle. That really does illustrate the value of educators beyond just the classroom. What other figures in your life helped you traverse this totally unfamiliar territory? Well, apart from my teachers, my neighbours also played a big role. I remember Mrs Cohen, she lived next door. Despite the language barrier, she was like a grandmother to me, offering freshly baked cookies, dropping by for visits, little things. But those little things were big morale boosters. They made me feel less alien, more accepted. Then there was Carlos, a fellow immigrant from Puerto Rico. He understood the struggle, guided me through it. He taught me that maintaining our culture was as important as integrating into the new one. It's impressive how a sense of community can play such a pivotal role, particularly in reducing the rigidity of a cultural transition. No doubt it was hard, but these figures in your life definitely eased the journey, didn't they? Absolutely, Emma. They were my guidebook, my cushion in this foreign land. Without them, my journey would have been far more difficult. Ellie, you've shared how your teachers, neighbours and even fellow immigrants played a role in easing your cultural transition. But what about adapting to the everyday American lifestyle? Could you share some instances where you initially found it challenging, but eventually got the hang of it? Well, I remember the first time I visited a diner. In Puerto Rico, food is often a family event with large portion sizes and communal dishes. But here it was different. Individual meals, a vast array of options on the menu and the pace. Also different. I recall this one time I was trying to order a sandwich and was just overwhelmed by the choices. I had no idea there were so many types of bread and cheese, let alone the different ways you could have your meat cooked. I can see how that would be overwhelming, especially in New York where there's a staggering variety of choices. So, how did you handle that? Initially, I kept to my safe choice, mainly sticking with things that seemed familiar, but I soon realised that this was an opportunity to gain new experiences. So I started trying different things on the menu, even if I had no idea what they were. And in the process, I found some new favourites. That's such a practical approach. Learning by tasting. I'm sure it wasn't just with food, right? There must have been other sectors of everyday life you needed to adapt to? Oh, absolutely. Take casual greetings, for example. In Puerto Rico, it's common to kiss on the cheek even among relative strangers. But here it's all about the handshake or the casual nod. Learning and adapting to these little norms was interesting. What really fascinated me, though, was the concept of personal space. Back home, we have large families and privacy wasn't something we had a lot of. But here, respecting personal space is integral. Understanding that took me a while, but I feel just these small assimilations helped me fit into the fabric of this society. That's really insightful, Ellie. It just goes to show how powerfully our cultures define us, and yet how adaptable we can be when presented with a new set of norms to understand. Ellie, it's evident that the move from Puerto Rico has incredibly transformed you. What are some positives you've discovered about American culture that you believe have enriched your life? Honestly, there are many. One of the things I love about American culture is the celebration of individuality. I feel like in the US there's more acceptance and respect for people who choose their own path, whether that's in terms of their career, their lifestyle or even their beliefs. Back in Puerto Rico, there's a lot of pressure to fit certain moulds, to follow certain paths. But here, I've found that it's OK to be different to have your own unique aspirations and goals. 
This encouraged me to be true to myself and follow my dreams. That's a very refreshing perspective on individuality. From what you've experienced, how does this shape your personality? I guess it provided me a certain kind of freedom, a liberation of sorts. It sparked a desire in me to break away from the expected norms and seek what truly makes me happy. The blend of cultures here spurred my curiosity. It broke down walls of inhibition and ushered me towards exploring different ways to perceive life. The sheer diversity within the city is truly an experience. Now, has there been any other aspect of the American lifestyle that you've appreciated? Definitely the value placed on time. Time is respected here. People prioritise punctuality and efficiency. That's something that contributes greatly to my current work as a housekeeper, as every minute, every second counts. Ellie, it's been an illuminating journey learning about your immigration process and the impact it has had on your life. From your stories, it's clear that while migration was a challenge, it also offered a unique opportunity for growth and self-discovery.